Praise the Lord. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark. And last week we ended with the news of all the, what all the apostles did in the way of preaching and miracles. And it's made it, all that information that they were doing that kind of made its way to the king. And I ended with this verse that when we serve God and we are faithful, what we do will make its way to the king of kings. God's keeping score of all that we do for him. Whether we do it up front or whether we do it that no one sees it, God sees it. In every ministry, God has, a, has an attendance sheet. And he marks down everything that we do. And we will be rewarded for all that we do, whether we are seen or not seen. So now we're going to pick it up with that in mind. Now this is a longer passage, and we'll try to get through it all today. It's one story, so I'm going to, I'm going to read it all, and then we'll break it up as we go. Mark 6, verse 14 says, Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because people everywhere were talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist come back to life again. That is why he can do such miracles. Others thought Jesus was the ancient prophet Elijah. Still others thought he was a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John kept telling Herod, it's illegal for you to marry your brother's wife. Herodias was enraged and wanted John killed in revenge. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. And Herod respected John, knowing that, she was, that he was a good man and a holy man, so he kept him under his protection. Herod was disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias' chance finally came. It was Herod's birthday, and he gave a party for his palace aides, army officers, and leading citizens of the Galilee. <clears throat> then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased them all. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. Then he promised, I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for John the Baptist's head. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king was very sorry, but he was embarrassed to break his oath in front of his guests. So he sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought, him, brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came for his body and buried him in a tomb. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And your word tells us pretty plainly that a lot of times in our life as we serve you, it will be difficult and we will face opposition. But as we study your word, help us to really have the sense of the Holy Spirit to direct us through those times. Help us to be able to stand firm and do the right thing even when things seem to be difficult. I pray you bless our time together again in Jesus' name. Amen. So the account kind of starts with a flashback narrative, and we'll get to that in a second. It starts out with the fact that John is already dead because Herod thought that Jesus was John, basically reanimated or reincarnated or resurrected, however he thought that. Verse 14 says, Herod Antipas the king soon heard about Jesus because everyone everywhere was talking about him. Some were saying this must be John the Baptist coming to life again. That is why he can do such miracles. So 
it appears that Herod only heard about miracles, but he didn't really hear about Jesus. Never met him, didn't know anything about him. His only thought at that time was not that it's Jesus, but this guy doing these miracles, it, it must be John. He must be alive again. He must be the one doing these miracles. Now, never mind the fact that John never did a miracle. But I guess that they thought, you know, maybe if he's resurrected from the grave, maybe he's, he's alive again. Because he's alive, he will have that ability to do miracles. Now, others also thought a little bit differently than that. Verse 15 says, others thought Jesus was the ancient prophet Elijah. Now, we talked about this in our first steps class today. The Old Testament has over 300 scriptures pointing out who the Messiah was going to be, who the Jewish Messiah was going to be. And the priests knew this stuff. All the leaders knew this stuff. The Pharisees, they knew these scriptures. When they were asked questions about who the Messiah would be, they, they quoted scripture right off, right off the bat to them. But they never kind of put it together. They never put two and two together about the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures. So you would think that instead of the people thinking it was Elijah, why couldn't they think it was their Messiah? Because what they were looking at, they were looking at a verse in the Old Testament talking about Elijah coming back. Malachi 4, 5 says, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Now, this is a reference to the end times, not to the time of the Messiah. So they knew the scripture, but they didn't understand the context of it. And that's a lot of times what happens when people take a verse of scripture out of context, what the entire paragraph is saying, and they will use that one scripture to either validate what they're thinking or give an excuse for why they do something. They will pick one scripture out and use that. And, you know, the Bible says, curse God and die. That's scripture. What's the context of that scripture? We all know the difference. When Job was sick and he was, you know, suffering a lot of things, his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job said, silly woman, why would I do that? So it's easy to take one verse out of context and use it to apply to something. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were thinking, oh, this isn't the end times. This must be about this guy right now. So be careful when you read God's word that everything you read and every scripture you see is in context of the paragraph in which it's written. So now, back at verse 15, still others thought he was a prophet like the great prophets of the past. Again, taking scripture out of context. But this is a popular thought even today. When you mention the name Jesus, People say, well, he's a great teacher or he was a great prophet, but they never say he's the Messiah and they never say he's God. So what they were saying then is still popular today. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites and you must listen to that prophet. This wasn't a prophet. Jesus was the prophet that was prophesied way back in Deuteronomy, actually way back in Genesis chapter 3. So all these people were having different thoughts about Jesus, but none of them actually came to the truth that Jesus was their Messiah. And that's exactly the way the world is today. A lot of people acknowledge Jesus. They know he existed, but they didn't. They don't claim him to be God. So now at this point, Herod's conscience begins to bother him. Verse 16 says, when Herod heard about Jesus... He said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. Now, he didn't really know about Jesus. So he's thinking that this Jesus must be actually John resurrected. Now, 
this, there's a whole family dynamic happening with this story. Herod wasn't actually a king. He was what they call a tetrarch. There were four governors over different provinces of Rome at that time. He was only one of the four. He wasn't the king of everything. He was the governor of his particular area. But he liked to be called a king. And Mark referred to him as king in his passage because that's what he liked and that's what the Romans would have understood him to be. Now, if you know the history of Ahab and Jezebel, that's kind of what we see here. You have a weaker husband who has authority over everyone except his dominant wife, kind of like Jezebel and Ahab. Herod divorced his first wife and took his brother's wife to be his. Now you wonder if this wasn't her idea all along, right? Now she's married to the guy who's in power, not the brother. Herod's brother isn't mentioned except for here, so we don't know what, who he was or if he had any kind of position at all. Maybe she wanted to marry up. So now Herodias is the king's wife. The brother's still alive. John was the one, you know, yelling at him, not, you're doing something that's illegal. So, in fact, Deuter or Leviticus tells us what he did was against Jewish law. Levit Leviticus 18, 16 says, do not have intercourse with your brother's wife. This would violate your brother. Now, Herod, being in a position of authority, nobody's kind of brave enough to call him out on that. They're, or they didn't care that he was doing this stuff. And you, you read this stuff and the Bible sometimes, I thought, I wrote down here, a soap opera. Guy marries his brother's wife, brother's still alive, has an affair. All these things, you think you see this on Guiding Light, you know, but all this is happening right here. And you know what that tells us? The Bible is brutally factual and true. It doesn't hold anything back. It tells you exactly how it is. It doesn't condone it. It tells you how it was. It details people's sins very clearly in the Old Testament and in the New. So now we come to the flashback part. And the reason that Herod thinks this is John. Verse 17. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. And John kept telling Herod, he's probably the only one saying this, it's illegal for you to marry your brother's wife. John seems to be the only one that's calling Herod out on this. Herod didn't really seem to care about this. Yeah, go ahead, yell at me, I don't care, I'm the king. But his wife hated it. And in response to her nagging, what happens? Herod puts him in jail. Verse 19 says, Herodias was enraged and wanted John killed in revenge, but without Herod's approval, she was powerless. Say, I'm the king's wife. I'm not gonna put up with that kind of slander, that kind of talk against me. Herod put him in jail. I want him killed, but right now I'll put him in jail. And she, I'm sure, confronts John. Who are you, John? You live in the wilderness to eat bugs. Who are you to call me out? I'm the king's wife. Herod didn't bother him, but it bothered her. And I'm sure she wanted to keep this from spreading around town, causing people to talk. Now, people probably knew what was going on. Maybe not everybody. 
But if he's announcing this to everybody, news is going to get out, and it's going to tarnish her reputation. And I'm sure even in biblical times, this news would get around, gossip would start, and Herodias didn't want any of that. Well, she can't kill him. What's the next best thing? I can't cancel John on social media. I can't fact check him, so I'm going to put him in jail. But this isn't enough for her. She's going to continue to harbor that resentment in the back of her mind, and I'm going to use this at a later date. I'm going to have the opportunity at some point to have him killed. I'm just going to keep this in the back of my mind. But Herod was a weak guy, weak husband. Verse 20 says, Herod respected John, knowing that he was a good and holy man, so he kept him under his protection. Herod was disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. So instead of standing up for John, doing the right thing, he throws him in jail. But he, in the process of putting him in jail, he tries to protect him, kind of on the down low. I'll protect him, don't let anything happen to him, but he's still in jail, dear. I'm still in jail. Dude, you're the king. Stand up and do the right thing. Let him out. No, he doesn't do that. How many of us, when we are confronted with a dominant personality, wither away or kind of keep Jesus on the down low? Why don't we stand up and do the right thing? John was speaking truth to power in spite of what the consequences to him would be. Now, if that time comes for us, and it seems like it might be sooner than later, are we going to be willing to stand up and speak truth to power regardless of the consequences that would come? There's an army chaplain during World War I. His name was Jeffrey Kennedy. He said this, Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequences. If God tells us to do something, do we do it? Or do we fear what might happen if we do it? We do what God says in spite of what the consequences might be. And we have a good recent example of that. If it happens again, if the government tells us we can't meet as a church, for whatever reason, what are we going to do? We're going to meet. If we're told we can't preach against something which is actually happening in Canada right now, it's against the law to preach against certain things in Canada. If we're told we can't do that, we can't call out sinful actions, does that mean we stop doing it? Or do we keep doing it in spite of what the consequences to us might be? Now, I'm sure that during these conversations with John, Herod liked him, listened to him, and I'm sure John would have told him about salvation, given Herod a chance to repent. And how many times did he meet with them? I'm sure every time John would have said, you need to repent, buddy. You need to get right with God. But it appears that Herod never did that. You can sit in a church for a long time and hear that message over and over and over again, but that message never changes you. Herod had the opportunity to have his life changed and he ignored it. You can sit in church and hear sermon after sermon and not, not affect you. Just because you hear a sermon or you attend a church 
even if you attend faithfully, doesn't mean anything if you don't allow Christ to change your life. Why? Because this church can't save you. I can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. Now remember I said that Herodias is kind of holding this in the back pocket, waiting for a special occasion to come up? Well, here it is. Verse 21. Herodias' chance finally came. It was Herod's birthday, and he gave a party for his palace aides, army officers, and leading citizens of Galilee. He's planning his own party. How weird is that? Kind of a powerful guy, I'm guessing. He invites all the people, hey, come and celebrate me today. All the people that you know, matter, come on, all the army officers, come on and celebrate me. And all this, I'm sure all the guys are like, hey, it's a king, let's go, let's make him happy. Yeah, let's go and just have fun with the king. Now, it's going to matter who he invites later. In verse 22 says, And his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased them. Now, if you read the entire account, it tells us that his wife, Herodias, kind of set her up for this. She's the one that kind of put this in her daughter's ear. Hey, this is our chance. Go and do this before dad. So the wife sends in the daughter to dance. And as one commentary puts it, it's probably a lewd dance. Now, he's having a, a party for himself. I'm sure there's plenty of adult beverage going around. I'm sure the guys are feeling, feeling pretty good. The daughter gets up to dance to him, dance before them. What do you think is going to happen? Now, dad's probably drunk. But even if dad's drunk, what kind of dad lets his daughter dance in front of a bunch of guys? That type of dance. I'm thinking he's kind of a pervert. What dad allows that to happen? Well, during that time, the morality of this time period was pretty much non-existent. So I'm sure for him it was no big deal. So we come to verse 22. It says, ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl and I'll give it to you. Then he promised, I'll give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. So not only did he let his daughter dance in front of all these other guys, he kind of liked it. Weirdo. He liked it so much he wanted to give her stuff for it. Now, since her mother was kind of setting this up, this goes back to the morality of the day. And what happens now? Herodias basically says, okay. Or the daughter says, I've got them where they want, where you wanted them, mom. What do you want to do? I got them there. And verse 24 says, she went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for John the Baptist's head. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Notice Herodias didn't have to think. Hmm. What can we ask for? She knew what she was going to ask for. This was all planned out ahead of time. The guys are getting drunk. Mom, hey, go in and dance before dad and the guys, and then he's going to promise you something. Come back, and we got to figure it out. Now, the wife said, I want the head. What did the daughter say? I want the head right now on a platter. 
The daughter wasn't surprised at the mom's request, wasn't shocked, wasn't upset. She knew that was going to be the request. And it appears she wants the same thing. Because mom's upset, I'm going to be upset, so let's do, let's do this. In fact, let's do it right now on a tray. So now Herod's in trouble. He's all partying up and feeling good. He makes a stupid promise. Nothing good ever comes from being drunk. Many regrets happen the next day after you wake up and you realize the things you did the night before. Verse 26 says, Then the king was very sorry, but he was embarrassed to break his oath in front of his guests. Now the word oath here is actually a, a plural word. It means he must have taken that oath several times. The, the New American Standard phrases uh, it this way, because of the oaths that he did and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. He repeatedly showed his desire to reward his daughter. Now, let's not forget that it's the daughter. He wants to pay her for doing this dance. Herod is more concerned about fearing his wife, his reputation, his own daughter, than he is about doing the right thing. He's the king. He's the king. He can do anything he wants to do. Or so he thought. He could have just said, you know what? Dudes, I, I messed up. I shouldn't have made that promise. No, I'm not going to kill an innocent guy. I'm not going to do it. You can think of me what you want. You're going to choose not to hang around me anymore. I don't care what you think of me. But I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to kill this guy for, for this. But again, he was more concerned about saving face. I don't want to go hit the wife when I go home tonight and she's going to cry at me that I didn't kill this guy because I promised. There's that family dynamic coming in. So his sinful actions that we have said before affects more people than when you sin because when you sin, it affects other people. And you know, sometimes you have to own up to the dumb things that we say and do even if it means we suffer ridicule or hardships. How many have done things that were dumb and had to apologize for them later? Instead of doubling down and saying everything you did was right, you just suck it up and go and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Herod had the opportunity to do that. And the question is, do we take a stand in the face of opposition even when the opposition is family and friends? So verse 27 comes. So he sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head out on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. Now, nowhere does it say that anybody anywhere came to help John. He was in jail. Doesn't say anything about the disciples coming. Doesn't say anything about the leaders saying, you know what, don't, don't kill him. Nobody raised a finger to help John. Nobody is standing up to do the right thing, to confront the wrong that was being done. Even if it didn't matter, they still should have said something. They still, still should have taken a stand. I'll close with this one. John's death. 
Who's ultimately to blame for John's death? Now, the wife and daughter take responsibility for some of it. But who's the buck stop with? Herod, right? He's the one who is in a position of authority, and God is the one who will hold him accountable. The other guys don't get off, but he was the one in, in authority. God's the one who can hold him accountable. Now, God has given men the responsibility for leading the family. It doesn't mean women are less, but that's the pattern God set, set up. Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. The Bible refers to the first Adam and the last Adam, Jesus being the last Adam. Why doesn't it say the first Eve and the last Adam? Because Adam was the one held responsible for the sin, even though she did it first. It's no wonder the enemy has tried to ruin the dynamic that God set up. Why do you think society today is so bad? What's a, if you can pinpoint one cause, what would it be? I can tell you statistically what it is. Fatherless homes. Every negative statistic, most guys in jail, most women in jail are, come from fatherless homes. Doesn't mean it always that way, but that's the stat. Now the world is attacking guys. Masculinity, right? They try to make men weak and feminine, confusing the roles of men and women. Man, you want to follow the science on that one. Men who want to be women, women who want to be men. And what happens? Society falls apart. Herod was weak willed and passive. He had many opportunities to do the right thing, and yet he didn't do it. God did not call men to be weak-willed and passive. Jesus was not weak-willed and passive. Jesus was meek, and that word means strength under control. You know who Justin Peters is? What's that psychiatrist's name? Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson. There's a clip of, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I've seen various things on him. But he says this. Men have to be viewed as dangerous. I'm like, what, is, what do you mean by that? He says, people have to think that men have the ability to do harm to someone. Like, not that we do it, but you have the ability and the willingness to do it. Someone comes in to threaten your family. They have to understand that you are willing to do harm to that person who's coming in to do harm to your family. Not that you have to do it, but people have to understand that you are willing and able to do it. Herod was weak and passive, and his wife knew that he's not going to ever stand up. He's not going to do anything. I'm going to keep asking him to do it, and he's not going to do it. And all the guys around him, they're all peer pressuring him into, yeah, let's see, John's. Had he been ready to do what was needed to be done without fear of what would happen to him, John would still be alive. I wrote down here, had Herod been strong and masculine and do the right thing, 
not let his wife or his friends or his daughter influence him and his friends pressure him, John wouldn't be dead. When we stand before God, guys, we will be judged as the ones being responsible for doing the right thing regardless of the consequences. We can't let society dictate how we should act or how not to act. God has already told us how we are to act. God's given us the pattern for that. We're the ones who are going to be held responsible for what our family does. Now, they have their own thing, but if we're not doing the right thing, we will be held accountable for that, regardless of what age you are. We as the men, are, we are the ones that God has given the responsibility of the family and God's church. We can't let what society is doing now influence how we live our lives before God. Amen? Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? Kids used to sing a song, uh, Jesus, meek and mild. Not really a scriptural song, but we get the point. Jesus was meek, but he wasn't mild. When righteousness needed to be displayed, he displayed it. He flipped over the tables and he, and he chased out people with whips. When Paul writes to the church, about a guy in the church who was sinning. Paul says, kick him out of the church. Turn him over to the devil so that maybe later on he can come back and repent and be saved. God calls us to be meek, which is strength under control. We lead under Jesus' leadership. The Bible says, Paul says, follow me, but only as I follow Christ. If I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. But if I am following him and I'm doing what Jesus asked me to do, then okay, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be an example for you. That's what God calls all of us to do, to follow Jesus, to be his example. And we have Father's Day coming up in a while, Mother's Day coming up soon. This isn't a Father's Day sermon but it is a challenge to the guys that are here, the guys that may be listening. God has given you the authority, the responsibility to do the right thing in whatever case it might be. And the minute we don't do what we know to be right is the minute we sin. God calls us to a better standard than that. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequences. So we will be the front line against whatever the enemy wants to do in our church, in our families, in our jobs. We will be the front line and we will do what is right regardless of what the consequences would be. God will take care of the consequences if you do the right thing. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you've never really accepted Christ. You've heard a lot. 
Or maybe not a lot. Or maybe you've been in church, maybe you haven't been in church. But the Bible says that you're not here by accident. You're here because God drew you here for a specific purpose. And the Bible says we're all sinners. We all sin. And the Bible also tells us that the wage of, the, of those sins is death, both spiritual and physical. We all die eventually because of the sin that's in the world, and we are spiritually dead because we haven't accepted Christ, because the sin keeps us away. But the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the Bible also says as many as receive him, not just know about him, as many as receive him, did he give the authority or the right to be called children of God. The Bible says that God stands at your door and he knocks. He wants to come in and have that relationship with you, but he's not going to kick the door in. He'll give you every opportunity to respond to that knock. But it has to be you responding to that. So if you're here today, you've never really answered that door. You felt God knocking on it. You felt it tugging. The Bible says that no one comes unless God draws him. So if you're feeling that in your head, in your heart, you know that's God doing it. But you've never answered the door. Well, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. Today's the day you've got to make that right with God. Not, not tomorrow, not next week, not next Sunday at church, today. If that's you and you want to be right with God, right with God, clean slate, starting fresh, I want you to raise your hand because I'm going to pray with you. All right, maybe you're here this morning and you've kind of taken a back seat to doing the things that God has called you to do, things you know you should be doing, but you kind of, yeah, been lackadaisical on it. And this is the moment God calls you to stand up, step forward to do the right thing. God will take care of the rest. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if that's you, that's between you and the Lord. God will encourage you to do the right thing. So, Father, we're going to pray now. Lord, we do thank you for calling us to a higher standard. Each one of us as Christians and, and guys specifically, you've called us to a higher standard than the world shows. And our faith in you de- depends upon what your word says, not about what we feel or what we think. They may come into play, but your word trumps all of that. And we want to be faithful to your word. We want to be faithful to you. And we want to do the right thing on every occasion. So Lord, I pray for each person here that you would give us a, a sound mind on the things that we know that we should be doing that we might not be doing. Or the things that we're doing that we shouldn't. And help us to live our lives right before you. So on the day that we stand before you, we can look at our lives and we can have a clean conscience that we did everything that you've asked us to do. We're not perfect. We, we definitely won't do everything perfectly. But everything we've done has been under your direction and for the glory of God. So Lord, I ask your blessing upon each person here today. Allow them to really feel the presence of God in their life, not just in church, but every day. Every day as we take time to read and pray, let us sense your presence and allow us to return back next week to again receive what you have for us. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.